0: Well, we spent a few weeks on the subject of God's love, God's desire to work with us in a loving relationship, a friendship that as we serve with Jesus in God's kingdom work, we grow closer and closer to him. And by now, some of you are probably wondering, especially those of you that are in the book and in the materials week by week, you're probably wondering, when are we gonna get on with it? When will we get to the checklist for what we need to do to discern our future as a church or a family, a couple, or as an individual. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that, but let me recap where we've been since I was away from you last week. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at what it means to experience God. One of the incredible things with God is that we fight for call to be in relationship with him. And that call to be a relationship with him means that we will also then have a desire to be on mission alongside him. The fact of the matter is that God works through those that he loves to carry out his kingdom purposes in the world. The authors of Experiencing God, Blackabee and King, say this. You will never be satisfied just to know about God. Knowing God only comes through experience... As he reveals himself to you and the world needs those who are experiencing God not just folks that know about God you can know a lot about God without being much used to God frankly because being religious is simply knowing about God and going through the motions of, of what is known but truly knowing God is about having a personal loving Relationship and experience with Him, so so that's kind of where we've been up to this point, point. and where we're going next is to cement in our minds that God is sovereign, that God accomplishes His purposes, and then in the next two weeks, how God speaks to us and makes clear His will for us. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Amen. Yeah. Let's, let's pray as we get started today. Lord God, we pray that you have bless this time together as we explore your word, as we look at those passages that were read earlier in the service, as we continue to dig in to the materials of experiencing God and, and the wisdom that can be gained through others' experience of you as well. But Lord, we don't want it to stay just at Knowledge About you We want to truly experience you We we understand that you're here Right now in our midst So give us an attentive spirit To what you would speak to us in this time In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit We pray, amen Well <clears throat> as you likely know uh, I was away last Sunday Because Kim and I were Celebrating our 25th wedding Anniversary Woo-hoo! Yes, thank you yeah, we've got a ways to go to catch up with some of you, but 25 minutes. <laughs> that's pretty good. We've known each other since meeting our freshman year at Central Washington University in Ellensburg. We started dating in groups and then individually in 1993. We were involved in ministry together at Central and then grew fonder and fonder of each other and got engaged on her 21st birthday. March 12, 1995. We graduated, both of us, in June of 1996, and we were married on July 6th at her parents' farm in Prosser about a month later. Now, at that point, July (coughs) 6th at about 7 p.m. after the the service had concluded and everybody had, had gone home except for close friends and family, at that point we could have sat back and said well we're married now let's uh, let's just do our own thing you know after all it's just a certificate that counts and, and now we're in a relationship together but we've been working towards this goal and now we've achieved it good job see you around <laughs> now that sounds pretty silly but many couples treat their relationships not Not too differently than that. They view the the wedding ceremony as as kind of the pinnacle and then maybe stop working on the relationship as much afterwards. They They don't work, for instance, on communication. They don't work on their relationship. They just exist near each other and let things happen in and to their relationship as circumstance dictates. Sadly, Many Christians do the same thing with their relationship with God. They say, well, I'm a Christian now. You know, I've, I I went to Bible club. I prayed that prayer. As a kid, I know, I know I'm know i in, right? I'm going to heaven. I know I should do certain things, so so I'll do those. I'll, I'll go through their processes, but i but still got my life to run, you know? So these Christians, unfortunately, miss out on the blessing that comes from knowing God intimately personally and lovingly you cannot know the will and purposes of a god that you're not willing to know through experience and committed relationship if i'd spent the last 25 years growing more and more distant from my wife and then you asked me about how she felt about a certain situation you know what her will was you're like i don't know I could guess based on my experience with her 26, 27 years ago when we were dating, but I can tell you now, 25 years after getting married. And similarly, if we aren't working on our relationship with God, that if it isn't, if conversion isn't the stopping point, if we continue to work on relationship, then we'll have the confidence to say, yes, this is what God is speaking to me. This is how I know what God wants me to do. So how do we get to know God by experience? If we we recognize that maybe our relationship with God is not what it could be, if we're maybe not hearing as clearly from God as we would like to, how do we we get to know God by experience? How do we hear his voice and follow his name? Let's look back at at Samuel, in 1 Samuel 3, you've got most of the passage there in your bulletin, if you wanna turn back there. I'm not gonna reread the whole thing, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says the Boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And Then the next sentence is, is interesting. It says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So, we're set up in this, in this passage in a situation that I don't think is too dissimilar from the modern church. At least here in America. For you to say, how many churches have a real, fresh vision for what God wants to do in and through them? I, I think those fellowships are fairly rare. There's a lot of us that are kind of seeking and wanting to have that experience. So, so, that doesn't mean that God is done with us, because that's the beginning of the story. And then we hear the rest. The one night, Eli and his eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. Was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And that lamp was a lamp that, that burned from, um, from sundown through to the next morning. So it would go out in the morning. So sometime in the wee hours of the morning, Samuel's lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel. Samuel said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. He called. Me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go, go. Go back and up, down. Don't me. Right? Let me slip. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. verse 7, this is interesting. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's grown up at the temple. Yes, he's a young boy, but he's grown up in the center of religious activity for the nation of Israel. But what does this say? He did not yet know the Lord. He hadn't experienced him personally. He couldn't recognize his voice when he was calling. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel a third time. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, and called. me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling him away. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, "Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening." So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. I don't know that that means. Be- I don't know if this means like uh, kind of a a pre-incarnate experience of, of Jesus. You know, sometimes those are suggested in Old Testament scripture that that when the Lord appeared physically, that it was actually. Jesus and his pre incarnate kind of spiritual body. It's possible. So it says the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other time. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. So after that, I'm going to condense a little bit. God delivers a message of judgment on Eli's house. This is something that was prophesied earlier. Um we skip ahead a little bit to verse 19. It says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and let none of his words fall to the ground. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So we see here that Samuel met with God in an incredible way. God made Himself known to him. But this is a turning point for Samuel. Even as a young boy, it says in this story that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And then after this, he does know the Lord. And he's in relationship with him. We notice that, that even though this was a significant moment, it doesn't stop there. We notice at the end of this passage that that relationship continued to grow. Verse 19 tells us that Samuel didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. He was was a spokesman for God, and he took that responsibility seriously. That he was going to speak the words that the Lord gave him, and not speak presumptuously. In other words, Samuel took to heart everything God said and followed through on what God spoke. So we see that phrase, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. So this relationship begun as a young child in the temple, developed into something real and personal, intimate and loving. Samuel didn't sit back on his laurels and say, you know, as a teenager, well, you know what? God's on my side. So now I can get on with my own life. No, because we see through the following chapters of 1st and 2nd Samuel that that this relationship with God was one that was going to mature, and we see how Samuel took it seriously. This relationship with God was experienced, not, not just kept as something that was locked inside his hand as knowledge. There was a real depth of love that Samuel had for God. Experiencing a loving God means a life of obedience to God's direction. Experiencing a loving God means a life of obedience to God's direction. Jesus said in that gospel passage that Phyllis read for us, John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one that loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. When you obey Jesus, you show that you love him and trust him. This verse makes clear to us that the Father loves those who love his Son. And for those who love him, Jesus said he would love them and show himself to them. We learn from this that that obedience, that our obedience to Jesus is an outward expression of our love for God. So if we say we love God, and then Jesus says to us something like, well, you know, love your enemies. Pray for those in persecution. And we say, eh, no, not going to do that. That our actions then belie the truth of where our hearts are at. Because obedience is the outward expression of where, where our hearts are. And if we love God, then we're going we're to do the things that God is directing us to do. The reward, the reward then for disobedience and love is that Jesus will show himself to us in John 14 31 Jesus said the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me that's Jesus saying so Jesus himself was obedient to Every command of the Father, because he was subservient to a lesser part of the Trinity, he didn't have a will of his own. He was simply an automaton carrying out the directives of a God far removed from life on Earth and His heavenly paradise. Right? Mm-hmm. No. Good. Somebody's listening. That was a test. Yeah. That was a test. Good job. Right? No. Jesus. Jesus wasn't obeying God the Father because. Because he had to. That he was he was some kind of robot, like, okay, here's you know, I've constructed the perfect human being, and God the Father say I'm gonna put my my presence in in that individual. They have no choice one way or another as to what they do. No, thank goodness you didn't let me get away with that. <laughs> but but that's the idea a lot of people have. They say, Well, if I if I'm gonna do the Lord's will, then I that I surrender everything of myself. I've got no personality. I might as well just be a robot. You know, if God's will is going to win after all, you know, no matter what, then, then what what role do I play in all of this? Is it really a choice? Why do you think that Jesus did what God the Father commanded What do you think? He loved him. Yes. Okay? He loved him. Any other reason besides just you loved him? They were one and the same. They were one and the same? Okay. So they're in relationship closely enough that they're, you know, that they're an expression of that theological thing we know to be true that Jesus was himself God the Father, and he could say to his disciples, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why else just think think of your own experience with with god in times that it's easier to obey than others he trusted him he trusted him okay he knew that the that godfather wasn't going to ask him to do something that um, was ultimately to his harm, and that's Keeping in mind that the Lord's goal is to have him go to the cross. All right? But that was the means by which God the Father was going to glorify the Son and give him a name and a place above any other name. Similarly, has God ever called you to do something hard? Has God ever brought you through some tough stuff? Right? You don't say, okay, well, you, God, you've your will is that I go through this hard thing. Clearly, that means that you don't love me anymore. So I think, uh, I think also, Jesus at this point, he's 33 years old. He's got a, a track record of time spent with God in God's word, knowing the Old Testament scriptures. And there's a connection there that, that when God speaks, it it resonates with what he already knows about God. So I think all of those were good reasons that Jesus Obeying God, we have to believe that Jesus had a choice, or else He is just a robot. That His prayer, you know, in the garden when He says, "Lord, I would really like this cup to pass from me. If I don't have to drink from it, that would be great. Yet, not my will, but Yours be done." The point is this, that a love relationship with God requires that you demonstrate your love by obedience. This is not just following the letter of the law, but it's also following the spirit of the command as well. Right? Like I know that Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, you know, turn turn your left to him as well. That doesn't mean that I can go and get in an altercation with somebody and they get to hit me once for free. Twice for freedom. Then I can beat them up. Now, that's not what it is. But, but But the spirit of that is to be peacemakers. Not someone who, who feed into an altercation. That's just one example. And I found this to be true. Perhaps it will resonate also with you. That if you have an obedience problem, The truth of the matter is you have a love problem. Your love needs to be an experiential experiential love of God in a way that dwarfs all other loves. The places and the times that I get into trouble is because I'm making a choice. A lot of times it's love of self versus love of God and what I know God is asking me to do. And I say, you know what? This would feel good to my flesh or this would this would feed my needs my pride to do whatever it is I'm tempted to do and then I make the choice to ignore God's counsel and to a following right? and sometimes I don't see that as a process that I'm going through until I look back on and I see that's right hindsight is 2012. right but but a certain amount of experience after a while, especially if it's in an area that you know that you struggle with on a, on a repeated basis, you're going to start to recognize those things that cast pain towards a choice or a place where you end up that you're not proud of. I know that's true for me. And so the answer then isn't to dig in our heels and to figure out, you know, um, how to obey better. It's... How do i really grab a hold of that god loves me to the extent that i can trust in that moment of temptation that god's will is for my good and that i can trust that he's not commanding me to do something because he's trying to cheat me from some experience or pleasure or relationship or love or whatever whatever the motivation is for us but we really trust god and we're solidified enough in that love relationship that, that we can say, God, for, for your sake and for it, because I love you, I'm going to choose to do what you're asking me to do. In 1 John 4, 16, we read, we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. So that knowing that experiential connection with God has to go beyond just head knowledge. It has to get down to our heart and to our actions, and really experiencing what what it means to be in relationship with God, because because that's what you know. First in John. 1 John, where he's writing about, is that at the very beginning of the letter he says, "These are the things that we saw and touched and experienced ourselves, and we pass on to you with with full knowledge of what we're asking you." You know that the relationship with God is is going to cause some difficulty, is going to cause some tension that wouldn't be there otherwise, but we know and rely on the love that God has for us because God is love; He's the source of love. And whoever lives in love lives in God, God. The phrase here, that God is love is vital for the Christian. Did you know that your relationship with God right now reveals what you believe about it? It's spiritually impossible for us to believe one way and practice another. God's will is always best, and God loves you and wants ultimately what's best for you even if you can't at first see how things are going to work out. You know, God's commands are designed to guide us to life's very best. You will not obey him, though, if you don't believe him and trust him. In John 14, 24, Jesus speaks these words. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So if we want to move ahead in our relationship with God so we can hear God's voice and discern God's direction, we need to do several things. If you want to jot these down, uh, you're welcome to. We're going we're to dig into them more in the coming weeks. But first, you need to know, them, right? Like we've, we've just covered. Not just, not just head knowledge, but experientially. Daily, not just when we need something. Right? If I only came to my wife in relationship when I needed something from her, how strong would that relationship be? Not very strong. It would be not very strong. That is a master, master of understatement here can Kennedy. <laughs> would not be very strong. So a relationship that's ongoing just because. Just spending time with Jesus just because. So we need to know Him. We need to love Him. And, and expressions of Love are going to be as diverse as the people touched by that love, right? So the way that I express that I love God is going to look different than Nolan's expression. It's going to look different than Bradley's expression. It's going to look different than Rita's expression, right? Telling somebody who's not really into music, oh, you got to, you have to sing and praise and dance before the Lord. That's what it means to truly love God. No, not for them. You know, we're, God has wired us differently. And we express love differently. And a lot of times uh, we can be stunted in that expression because maybe in the household we grew up in or our present relationships, expressions of love outwardly aren't, aren't really encouraged, aren't really acknowledged. So, so I'm not saying just because something's uncomfortable for you means that you shouldn't do it. I mean, your your love for God needs to be expressed for your good as much as it is for the the relationship that you have with God. But whatever that expression looks like, love comes with a commitment of time and interest and investment and emotion and more. Right? Just like just like the demands you know of a relationship here on Earth have on you, your relationship with God has the same sort of relational demands. It's just just the way relationships work. It's not because God is saying, you must do this in order to love me or in order for me to love you, but that that love expresses itself. And Jesus said, you know what? If If you don't have the actions that show that you love me, you probably don't love me. And I don't think he was trying to be mean. I don't think he was trying to To put down his disciples or his followers He was just saying, listen, this is is how relationships work I can't say I love Nolan as a brother in Christ And then treat him like garbage Or ignore him Or never want to spend time with him Or every time I do spend time with him Make sure he knows that, that I'm feeling really put upon So If we have the same attitudes towards God, it just doesn't feel good. Right? I'm not God, but if I were God, that would feel good to me. Because I know it doesn't feel good to me in a natural relationship, let alone a supernatural relationship. So we need to know Him. We need to love Him. Thirdly, we need to believe Him. Believe Him. Is God really God in our lives? Is He sovereign? Is He in control? Or are we just giving Him lip service? After all other options have run out, then we come to go. We say, okay, God, rescue me. Right? God, now you're in control. I've tried everything else. Now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you grab the wheel. Go in, love, and believe Him. Trust him. Trust him. A loving God will guide me into what's best for me. A loving God will guide me into what's best for me. I either trust that or I don't at the core of life. And that is hard, right? Because what we see and what we experience is our circumstance. And sometimes our circumstance is really, really hard. And I would not go to Gwenny and say, in the midst of her grief and loss, I would not say, you know, well, that was God's will. God wanted to take all those people that you love just one after another. You know, so just trust them. So we have a little sense and compassion, just as we would with others, we need to have it with ourselves. Sometimes the people that we're hardest on are ourselves, and God loves us, and he understands that trust is going to be hard, especially trusting him in difficult circumstances is going to be hard. That doesn't mean we give up, but we, we keep leaning into that, because we know that's what God intends in this relationship to so just keep leaning into that truth that a loving God will guide me into what is best for me. And lastly, obey me. Obey Him. All right? We don't like to talk about obedience. When I, uh, when I first started doing weddings 27 years ago, in the vows, love and obey, right? Was the, how many did vows back when you still said, I promise to love and obey, right? Have you gone to any weddings lately? (laughs) Are they saying love and obey anymore? No, it's become very culturally inappropriate to say we're gonna obey another human being in a relationship because we think obedience, that must mean coercion. That must mean power. One person has it and the other person doesn't. But when we obey God, it's not because God has the power over us even though he does to make us do things that we don't wanna do even though he could. It's an obedience that comes out of a relationship where we are choosing to obey. That's something I don't think our culture understands too well. We could could model a little better as Christians, amen? I mean, the church could do a little better job of, of obedience, and then maybe we'd have a little more credibility with the outside world. It's hard. And if we do these things, if we... If we know him and love him and believe him and trust him and obey him, if we do these things, we can't help but experience God. You've heard me say this before, but God invites you to join him in mission. That's that's a big part of this experiencing God. God's at work. God's doing something in Pasco, in the Tri-Cities, in this region. He's doing something in the lives of each and every person that we meet. We just got to figure out what that is and be attuned to it. You know, the Bible itself is a record of God's activity. In In it, he reveals himself, his nature, his purposes, his plans, his ways. We've already seen this in the example of Samuel. God's word isn't a historical collection about individual people throughout history. It's about God's activity and his relationships with individuals. So the focus is on God and God's activity. You might ask, how does God invite me to be involved? How, how will I really know? Right? You've told me God's out there and He's working in people's lives. How am I going to know that, okay, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to jump into that. I'm supposed to be involved. Well, let's look at Jesus' example in John 5, starting verse 17. Jesus said to them, my Father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what the, he sees the father doing because whatever the father does the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does yes to your amazement he will show him even greater things than these for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give him. jesus knew what to do in his father's work because he saw what the father was already Jesus' response was to join the Father in what activity he saw God the Father was was involved in presently, around him. I I think this happened, you know, just talking really practically. You know, uh, some of the things that I do, besides reading scripture, uh, listening to podcasts on, on Christian themes or other people, preaching portions of the word that I'm also investigating. A lot of times I'll I'll hear something as I'm jogging or as I'm working and doing something else and that'll, that'll prompt another thought. Or I'll think about a circumstance earlier in my day or something I've been praying about in one of y'all's lives. And to me, when that sort of thing happens, I go ding, ding, ding. This is a coincidence. But I'm hearing something that speaks into the situation I was just thinking about. Have you ever had that sort of experience, right? The world calls them coincidence. Christians should call it the Spirit's (laughs) leading. And then if we follow that, leading, right? Sometimes it can be as simple as, you know what, Brad? I was praying for you today, and I know you're going through this thing, and I was reading the scripture. I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you or not, but I thought I'd share it. Obedience can be that simple, right? Quick text, phone call, um, write a note. Do people still write notes anymore and send them in the actual mail, yeah. right? That works too, right? Yes. And that's—I mean, it's—it's it's more and more rare these days. So now that when it actually happens, it can really bless somebody. And and I think you'll find, just as I've found, and maybe you already know this to be true. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, or if you. You obey in those little things, and God takes that little bit of obedience and blesses somebody and encourages them, and then they, maybe it doesn't happen right away, but they come back to you and say, you know what, I didn't tell you at the time because I was just too deep in it, but that that really made all the difference. That really helped. That got me through that moment. So those obedience in the small things can, can help with the larger things, it? Uh, Jesus I think when he entered into a situation he was so confident in God's character and what God would want in a certain certain situation that that his words and his actions were were exactly what God the Father would have done in that situation he he was a complete and full representation of God the Father you and I we're not the perfect son of God, right? We're, we're gonna mess up. So, so there may be times that we we follow what we think is a leading from God and we don't get any confirmation. Don't be discouraged by that. Keep at it. Right? That's I think that's that's the way we do. The way we, we do things is is just to keep trying to walk into experiencing God and following his lead. We can have watchful, expectant, obedient lives that mirror God the Father just as well as Jesus did. I don't say that because I'm trying to, you know, rah-rah cheer you up. I say it because Jesus said. Jesus said in that passage, even greater things than these will you do. And some of that is just because there's there's more of us than just one person. Jesus was a single person in a situation. He was limited by that physical body in his earthly ministry. And there's many more of us. And the people that Rita has access to in, in her neighborhood and through her relationships are not people I have access to. And so, so Jesus is saying, each of us have people that, that we're invested in and they're invested in us and those, those are naturally people that we're going to have a little bit more um, connection with, relationship So to sum up today, I want to finish with a direct quote from, from the book, Experiencing God, that, that many of us are looking through. Blackaby and King write, we've focused on the fact that God invites you to become involved in His work. You need to connect following two points to this fact. All right, so this fact that God is inviting us to be involved in this work. One, God speaks when he's about to accomplish his purpose." God doesn't speak to test us. God doesn't speak to show off. God speaks to us and we hear God's voice when he's about to accomplish his purposes. When God reveals to you what he's doing, that's when you need to respond. He speaks when he's about to accomplish his purposes. This is true throughout scripture. Now keep in mind that the final completion may take a while. Abram's son was born, Isaac was born 25 years after the promise of God. The time God comes to you, however, is the time for your response. So if you feel like God is in, and I, the times that I've done this, I've never regretted. I feel like this feels I'm I'm naturally introverted, so it feels really dumb for me to call somebody and say, I feel like the Lord let me to call you right now. Even as a pastor type, that feels really intrusive of me to do that to somebody. Especially if it's somebody I haven't talked to in 10 years, I start to feel guilty. Think this person, you know, they aren't even going to recognize my phone number. And they're gonna think I'm a telemarketer and they don't want to hear from me. I come up with all these excuses. But the times that I plowed through those excuses and done what God has asked me to do. I've always been blessed. So the time that God comes to you and speaks to you, that's the time for your response. You need to begin adjusting your life to Him. You may need to make some preparations for what He's about to do for you. So if you feel like God is speaking to you about some things that you need to adjust, this is the time to start making those adjustments. And secondly, what God initiates, He completes. What God initiates, He completes. God speaks he guarantees that it will come to pass this holds enormous implications they write for the individual believers churches and denominations we will come to when we come to God to know what he is about to do where we are we also come with assurance that what God indicates he is about to do is certain to come to pass so if we, as a church, as Desert Springs, if we discern together that God is is saying to us a certain thing, it's not us just having the same delirium or dreaming the same dream. We, God is going to do it, and He's inviting us to be a part of it. It's certain to come to pass. What's a proper response to all this? What's a proper response to all this? Cultivate a sensitive. They'll be ready to respond to God at the slightest prompting. Obey and then pray and watch and see what God does next. Make the connection for others to see that God is moving in your life. Ask probing questions of them. Then truly listen. I want to hear from God. Do you? I want to hear from God. Do you? Yes. 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 Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Are you desperate for the Lord to speak? Yes. I know many of you are in situations where you are desperate for the Lord to speak in that situation. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. God speaks when He's about to accomplish His purposes. He's doing something. It's going to do something in each and every one of your lives. What God initiates, He completes. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that can be experienced. We can be in relationship with. That's something that's that's a resource that this world doesn't have. world has a lot our circumstances can scare us and frighten us can cause us to doubt to shrink back but remind us Lord that that you accomplish what you purpose when Jesus said your will is that send the sun into people's lives that they would experience life and life abundantly but that's true that we might need to adjust our thinking we might need to adjust our behaviors we might need to adjust our speech our practices our finances whatever it is that you're you're asking us to prepare again so that we could experience more of you. Lord, we ask that you give us the courage to do it. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. It would be our desire that we could live lives that are powerful for your kingdom. your name, Lord Jesus, we pray.